Take your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter number 3. 2 Peter chapter number 3 this morning. The book of 2 Peter chapter number 3. I'm glad that you're here today. Um, today, I'm, if you'll turn me down just a little bit, either in the monitors or out here, I'm ringing. Um, today, we are beginning a new series of messages entitled, Love Changes Everything. Love Changes Everything. Uh, I'm going to do something that's a little bit uh, out of my comfort zone um, that God has really... By the way, I have extra running room this morning. <laughs> no. um, I'm going to do something that's a little bit out of the box for me. Uh, over the next uh, four weeks, uh, I'm going to speak on what I believe the Bible um, refers or shares with us about cultivating a godly family. And uh, you say, Pastor, well, I'm past raising my children, or I don't have any children, or uh, this may not be applicable to me. But if you'll just listen, a lot of what we're going to talk about and a lot of things that we're going to cover um, are actually going to deal with us individually. And uh, when I say I'm getting out of my comfort zone a little bit, the Lord has really impressed it upon me not to preach to you over the next four weeks, but to really just teach. And, uh, you know, there there are times when when preaching and exhortation is, is vitally important in the pulpit, but I believe there's also times when teaching is important. And uh, so over the next four weeks, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a lot, a lot of scriptures. Uh, If you turn and look at the back of your bulletin, you probably thought that was three weeks worth of messages back there. It's not. Don't worry. We won't be here all day. I promise. Um, But it's just going to be a lot of information. And and so I'm going to try to give you as much information as I can in our outlines Uh, But you'll need to probably, if you're in the habit of taking notes or enjoy taking notes, uh, you can just write down these scriptures. So it's going to be a lot of scriptures and just a lot of things that I believe would probably help us as individuals and as a church when it comes to cultivating our family. Uh, Whether you're raising children, whether you're raising grandchildren, whether you've already raised your children, whether uh, you're a single person, uh, whatever whatever, uh, you fall into. And then maybe you're here this morning, you're a young person. Person and you are uh, still in that uh, idea of, of my parents are cultivating me, and, and where do I fit into all of that? And so that's what I'm going to do with you uh, over the next few weeks. But before we do that, I, I came across some things that I thought was uh, a little bit uh, on the funny side, and so I thought I'd share with you. Kids say the craziest things, and there were some questions given to a group of children, and here are their answers. The first question was, is, how do you decide who you're going to marry? It's a good question. Well, a little boy, Alan, age 10, said, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it like you like sports, and she should keep the chips and the dip coming. (laughs) Amen, right? How do you decide who to marry? How do you decide who to marry? No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry, Kristen says. She said, God decides it all uh, way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. That's a good perspective right there. Yeah. Age 10, all right? Uh, so someone said, what's the right age to get married? Well, uh, Camille, age 10, said 23 is the best age because you know the person forever by then. You know, 23 is old, you know? Uh, so uh, another one said uh, about the right age, said no age is good to get married. You've got to be a fool to get married. 
Yeah, all right. Uh, that was Freddie. He's six years old. There's a lot going on in that household, I'm telling you. Uh, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek said you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> Find out if they're married. <laughs> I could do this all morning. This is fun. All right, uh, last one. What do you think your mom and dad have in common? Lori said both of them do not want any more kids. Well, this morning we want to learn uh, how we cultivate a spirit of grace in our Christian home. How we cultivate a spirit of grace. And today I'm just going to kind of lay the foundation uh, for this series of messages. And it's going to be a deep foundation. Uh, But I feel very passionate about this because... You know, we live in a world where when, it, when we talk about raising a family, we talk about having a family, we talk about being in a family, we talk about being a part of a family, that I believe that the word family is becoming distorted. I believe that, it, that, that it's being changed. It's being changed into more of a worldly philosophy instead of a godly heritage. And uh, I believe that as Christians that we have... Uh, the, the responsibility to raise and to be and to have a part of a family that is, uh, is cultivating a spirit of grace in our homes. And, and when I say that, I, I mean that we're expressing grace to anyone who is in our home or to anyone who is a part of our families. It starts with us as an individual and then it it goes into if God has allowed us to become married, it goes into our spouses and if God has allowed us to have children into our children. But it also goes into you as an individual that may not be a part of that group that that cultivates into how you treat your parents and and how you have your own individual home. It's cultivating uh, a, a spirit of grace the spirit of mercy in our home. All of us need to grow in grace, and that grace is probably needed most in our homes. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14 is our launching verse um, with this series of messages. It says this, For we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. I, I titled this series of messages, Love Changes uh, everything, and so when we talk about that, when we talk about building grace, when we talk about building up uh, uh, our homes, it all begins with that four-letter word, love. It all begins with love. Now, I, I want to premise this message because I'm afraid that that uh, some of you will feel like that that this is not applicable to you. I understand that we all come from different kind of backgrounds. Okay, I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad uh, love me very much, okay? But not everyone has that opportunity, and that is what I know, okay? But let me explain something to you. That as we become adults, even in our adolescent years, but even more as we become adults, we make the choice of what kind of family we are going to form. Your family is not formed based upon your parents are based upon the history of who you are. Because I can tell you right now, if my mom and dad were sitting here, they would tell you this. Yes, I'm raising my children in a Christian home, and yes, I'm doing the best I can. But no, I'm not doing it like they did it. Do you understand that? Okay. 
You say, Pastor, is that being mean to your parents? No, it's not being mean to my parents at all. You see, they cultivated our spirit of grace in our home. And now God has taken that spirit of grace and planted it into me and then allowed me to make the mistakes that I'm going to make as a parent, to make the mistakes that I'm going to make as a husband, but then also gives me a path and a pattern into which I raise and I have my own children and my own spouse and how I treat my own parents. It's different But the bottom line is, is that it is all cultivated within the word of God. So please don't sit here this morning and say, Pastor, you talk about uh, he that loveth not his brother abideth in death. I didn't grow up in a home where where there was a lot of love. I didn't grow up in a home where there was a a, a lot of grace and a lot of mercy. Well, I want to tell you this, that first of all, I'm very sorry for that. But secondly of all, you can stop that pattern right now. You can end that right now. You can turn your home into a home that abideth in love and abideth in grace. If you have your Bibles, if you're standing with me, just one verse this morning. 2 Peter chapter number 3. We're going to read verse number 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, the last verse in chapter number 3, uh, verse number 18. The Bible says this, but grow in what? There's the word. But grow in grace and in what? Knowledge. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I I believe this is the launching pad for cultivating grace in our family. It is a growth pattern. But grow in grace. And not only grow in grace. But in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our Father we love you. I pray that you'll uh, help me this morning. Uh, to relay the things that you've laid on my heart, to, to, to help those that are listening. And most of all, Lord, as you have helped me as I have worked my way through this process. And God, I pray uh, that in, in this very hour, that in, in my very uh, humbleness of words, and Lord, uh, trying to express the thoughts that you've given to me, Lord, that you'll help them hit the ears of those, and that, Lord, you'll translate them into what is needed for our congregation today. Lord, we love you, but most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're in the habit of taking notes, uh, you can, uh, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin. Number one, the message of grace. The message of grace. You say, Pastor, what does this have to do with our family? Well, if your family is not rooted and grounded in God, then we don't have anywhere to go from here. Because God is the very foundation of who we are. God has got to be the very foundation of our family. So first of all, the message of grace. Grace, first of all, provides salvation for all. It provides salvation for all. The Bible tells us that that grace is the measure of our salvation. What is grace, Pastor? Grace is undeserved favor. Grace is undeserved favor. What does that mean? When Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died on that cross and he was buried and rose again, did any of us deserve that? Did any of us deserve it? We certainly did not. We did not deserve the the, the agony and the pain that Jesus Christ went through. Now listen to me, church. Please don't, don't, don't lose me this morning. But listen to me. Grace is what our home is founded on. You may look at your husband and you may look at your wife. You may look at your mom. You may look at your dad. You may look at your children and say, Pastor, they don't deserve grace because of things that they've done for me. Can I remind you of what grace is? Grace is undeserved favor. 
Are you listening? Grace is undeserved favor. Listen, uh, 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 my children sometimes mess up. Sometimes they do things that they shouldn't do. That doesn't mean that I never, ever tell them that I love them again. That doesn't mean that I, I, I withhold the benefits from them. What is grace? Grace says that in spite of the mistakes that you make, I still love you because grace is undeserved. Because I'm telling you right now, church, that I don't deserve to be loved by God. I don't deserve to be loved by God. I don't deserve to, to, to obtain heaven and salvation. But because of grace, because of the undeserved favor of God, I am an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. See, grace is undeserved favor. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and, not, and that not of yourselves has nothing to do with us. It is the gift of God. Romans chapter number 5 tells us, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded. What's the next word? Grace did much more abound. Grace did much more abound. Verse 21, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. It's undeserved favor. So first of all, grace provides salvation. Secondly, grace is known through scriptures. Grace is taught, grace is given to us and is known through scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And that from a what? Child. Thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So grace is taught through scripture. Now listen to me. I want you to understand this, that if we understand what grace is, if we understand that grace is an undeserved favor, we understand that grace is taught in the word of God, then grace has to abound in our homes. Grace has to abound in everything that we do. I'm going to be honest with you. There were times growing up where, where uh, uh, with different people in, in the life of our family that were related to us would do things that would cause harm to our family and cause harm to who we are because my dad took such a strong stand of being a Christian. And, 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 and immediate family members would say and would do things. And I remember my dad one day, he sat us all down and, and, and I made this statement to my dad. I was probably 15 or 16 years old. And I said, Dad, why do we even associate with them anymore? Why do we even go around them anymore? And this is what my dad said to me. He said, son, the problem that you have is you don't understand what grace is. He goes, what you understand is what is inside of you, the flesh side of you, that wants to lash out and get back at them. He said, grace never gets back. Grace always gives. When I got married and began to have children, I realized something. That grace is all about giving. It's never about receiving. You see, Jesus Christ gave his life. And what do we give in return very little, if anything, to be perfectly honest. See, grace is undeserved. Not only that, grace provides solidification. It provides solidification in our lives. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He changeth not. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with what? Grace. Not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Don't get involved in all of the extra things that are going on out here. Just dive yourself and get yourself involved into grace. We are not established in our relationship with Christ by works or by religion, but by 
grace. We really have to understand what that means. We really have to understand what the word grace is saying to us. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I want you to get this. Because this really, I'm telling you, the growth period in my life of after having children and understanding what grace really was, it changed who I am dramatically. If you'd have met me 14 years, 13, 14 years ago, you would say, Pastor, I wouldn't even know you, and you're exactly right. Let, let me explain this verse to you. Galatians chapter number 2. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Listen to me. No one in our families should have to work to gain our love. Are you with me? My wife does not have to work to gain my love. I do not have to work to gain my wife's love and approval. I do, my children do not have to work to decide whether or not I'm going to love them and I'm going to put food on their table. My, my parents don't have to work at trying to decide if I'm going to continue to love them. Because grace in the home is not measured by works. It's measured by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ didn't go to the cross and die. And right before he died, he didn't say, now, if you work hard enough, I'll love you. He didn't say that. You know what he said? He said, Father, forgive. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, our homes should not be driven by the things that people do for us. It should be di get driven by the grace that is within us that we seek to give to them. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21, I love this verse. He says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. How many of you ever been frustrated? You ever been frustrated? Sure. You ever get frustrated with people in your home? No, not at all, right? I do not frustrate the grace of God. Listen. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. He's dead in vain. Do you see that? He said, I don't, I don't want to frustrate you. I just want you to understand that this is not about anything that I can do. It's all about what God has already done for me. And it's our job within our families to take what God has done for me and relay it to them. And give them the grace that they need. Grace provides sufficiency, thirdly. It provides sufficiency. What does that mean, Pastor? 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. This is Paul speaking. You know the story. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse number 8. For this thing I besought the Lord three times... That it might depart from me. Paul said, I had this thorn in my flesh. We, biblical scholars do not know exactly what it is. And we're not here to uh, uh, make an assumption. But we do know that Paul said he asked the Lord three times to make it go away. And Jesus said this, my what? Grace is sufficient for thee. This is a very interesting verse. Because this is where we normally stop. We love to tell the story. 
Paul had this thorn in the flesh. God came to him and said, Paul, don't worry. God's grace is sufficient for thee. And we stop there. Do you know there's a whole other part of this verse? Look what it says. My strength is made, what's the next word? Perfect. I love that word perfect. You should go home and study that word perfect in the Greek. Most of the time the word in the Greek means mature. And in essence, this word does have mature. But this word has a replacement theory. It says that God's what grace in our lives is a substitute for our weakness. It's made perfect in our weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I what? What's the next word? Glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with anything to do with our families? Look at me right here, because I don't want to lose you. I don't think any of you would say that you have a perfect family. Most of you probably think your children are perfect until they become teenagers. No offense. We always talk about how perfect our little children are, and that's great. But when we look at our family as a whole, none of us can say our our families are perfect. We all have baggage within our family. Some of us, this morning, walked in here this morning without even realizing it. You're sitting in your chair, and you have family baggage. And you won't let it go. Because somebody has hurt you. Somebody has done something to you. Somebody has hurt you so deep and so much... And you carry that baggage with you everywhere you go. Do you know what the Bible calls that baggage? An infirmity. It is a thorn in your flesh. And you don't even realize it. You're carrying it around. The weight that you're carrying around is weighing you down and weighing you down. And what happens? When somebody else hurts you, you immediately associate with that hurt with the hurt that you received over here. And what happens? You put more into your baggage. You fill that bag up. And you fill that bag up. And you fill that bag up. What is it? It's an infirmity. But what do we got to do? Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power or the grace of God will rest upon me. I would tell you this morning to do like Paul did and just realize the hurt, listen to me, is not going to go away. But you know what can go away? The baggage that goes along with it. I will glory in my infirmities. Look at verse uh, 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in, what's the next word? Persecutions, in distresses. Why? For Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. The question is, are you weak enough to become strong? Weakness is strength if Christ is in it. May I remind you of Gideon's pitchers. May I remind you of David's sling. May I remind you of Moses' rod. There is grace to meet every need. Grace enabled Paul to accept his weakness, glory in it, take pleasure in it. Paul knew that his weakness would bring glory to Christ. And that is all that mattered. Number two, the mentoring of grace. This is where... We've kind of established the need for grace in our relationships and in our families. Now, how do we mentor that? How does it become a part of who we are? The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, 
what's the next word? Teaching, mentoring us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and what's the next word? Godly, whereat? In this present world. You say, Pastor, do you believe that in 2016, this verse can still happen in our lives? I do. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live right, soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. How do we mentor grace? First of all, from the principle of God's word. From the principles of God's word. You should not be afraid to teach your children the word of God. Let me say that again. You should not be afraid to teach your children the word of God. What does that mean? That means I have to know it before I can teach it. Right? I have to know the word of God before I go teaching it. I don't want my child going into a math class for someone who's never been to school and they're going to teach my son how to do uh, algebraic equations that, as my wife said, when they started putting the alphabet in the math, she lost it. You've got to know what you're talking about. I don't want you teaching my children something that's wrong, right? Well, if I'm going to teach my children about the Word of God, then I should be uh, indulging myself in the Word of God. I should be wanting myself to be taught and to be mentored from the principles of the Word of God. Acts chapter 20. I told you there's going to be a lot of scriptures. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are, what's the next word? Sanctified. Sanctified. I want to build you up in the word of grace. So not only from the word of God, but from the people of God's family. From the people of God's family. You say, Pastor, who is mentoring grace into our families? The people of God's family. Who are they? First of all, godly parents. Godly parents. Moms and dads, look at me for a moment. Whether you believe it or not, there are a couple things your children will never tell you. You probably know they're true, but they would probably never tell you. When I was growing up, I would never tell my dad... Boy, Dad, you know everything. You know why? Because I thought I knew everything. You been there? I'm smarter than my dad was. I'm 13 years old. Right? I never tell my dad, you know what, Dad? You're right. But you know what? My dad never gave up on showing me what was right. My dad always guided me. Let, let me tell you how I view this in a biblical perspective. And I'm just going to be really, I told you this is more of a teaching thing than anything. So I'm just going to be real down to earth and honest with you. I love going to the mountains. How many of you love going to the mountains? Okay. I love going to the mountains, but I don't want to go on the mountains and not go to the top of the mountain. Okay. I want to go to the top of the mountain. My wife does not like to go to the top of the mountain. The reason she doesn't go like to go to the top of the mountain is because there are certain places along the mountain route that there are no guardrails. You ever been on those roads? Me, I'm a roller coaster guy, so I'm swinging those things. My wife, you better slow it down, right? You know, I, I think parenting is a lot like that. You say, Pastor, what do you mean? Our children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, 
whomever is applicable to you, are on this road called life. And can I tell you something about the road of life? It's not straight. Sometimes it takes curves in their lives. Sometimes it goes up. Sometimes it dips way down. Sometimes when they're coming out of the dip, they got to take a big curve. And do you know what a parent's job is? A parent's job is to throw up the guardrail so they don't fall off. Parenting is guardrailing your children. It is guiding them into the next turn that they're in. You say, Pastor, I thought my job as a parent was to pick them up off of the road and put them into another road. Can I tell you that when we begin to force, especially our teenagers and older children, into a path that they do not want to take, they will go the path that they decide with or without your help. So our job is not to force them into a direction. Our job is to guide them with guardrails. What are the guardrails? The word of God. You say, Pastor, explain it. My child is going into a deep, deep curve. What do I do? I stop them for a moment. I tell them, slow down for a moment. Let me show you what the word of God says about the direction that you're heading. Let me tell you about personal examples of things that I've done in my life that I have really messed up in. And I can see you heading in that same direction. Let me put up a guardrail for you. This is what I've seen in my own personal life as my parents did this. There were times in my growing up, and I'm just going to be real honest. My parents are going to be here next week. You'll probably tell them all about the things I tell them about, all right? And that's okay. But there are times that my parents took me out of circumstances and put me into different circumstances. And they did it and they said, we're doing this for your own good. If my parents would have taken and put up a guardrail and guided me through the situation, then probably some of the mistakes that I've made in my life I probably would not have made. I think what as parents, and you may disagree with me and I'm okay with that, but I think as parents our job is to take as they're on their path of life and put up guardrails for decisions that they're making, and obviously I'm talking about older children, and guide them into the direction that God would have them to go. So where does the mentoring come from? The mentoring begins in the Christian home. It begins with godly parents. It begins with parents that are not just saying the things that they're saying. They are backing it up with their life. You see, I can tell my kid... You know, you need to do this, and you need to do that, you need to do this, and you need to do that. Eventually, it's going to come back onto me, and if I'm not doing those things, they're going to say, hey, why aren't you doing them? You see, I'm mentoring them by example, by being a godly parent. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number one, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, here it is, hear the instruction of thy father. It's instruction. Of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Verse 9 For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. Young people, listen to me. You may think to yourself, My parents have lost it. Your parents have not lost it, you just have not gotten it. Right? All the moms and dads said, Amen, preacher. That's good right there. They haven't lost it. You know what your parents are trying to do? They're trying to guide you and help you make wise decisions. Because there's going to come a time where they no longer make decisions for you. 
And I can tell you, based upon parents that I've had sit in my office, based upon watching my own parents, your parents are pouring everything that they can into you. So that when you get to the age where you're making your own decisions, that you don't go out and make the same mistakes that they did. You see, they shall be an ornament of grace into thy head and chains about thy neck. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that when you get to the point when you finally have gotten it, you're going to realize something just as I have. The grace that my parents showed me and the love that they showed me is the reason that I am who I am today. And that is what we need to strive for as a family. Not only godly parents, but godly people. You know, as a church, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility as a church. These kids run up and down these hallways, and they, they, they run to you, and they hug you, and they love on you, and all those kind of things. But let me tell you something. The way that you live your life is what they're going to emulate. I've often heard somebody say this, and I think it's so true. Everyone has someone that is looking up to them. There is someone that's looking up to you. And most of the time, it's a smaller person. So what are you doing? What are you teaching them? Colossians chapter 3, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all, to the, uh, uh, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The enemy does all he can to cause us to lose trust because God has chosen to use human instrumentation and people fail us. But keep in mind, God never fails. A few years back, a football coach was in the middle of a terrible season as a football coach at UCLA. It even got so bad that, his, that it upset his home life. He recalls, my dog was my only friend. I told my wife that a man needs at least two friends and she bought me another dog. Listen, keeping peace within your home. Let me give you my last thought and I'll be done. The modeling of grace. The modeling of grace. The message, the mentoring, and now the modeling. This is where it really gets just real down to earth. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisted the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How do we model the Christian life? How do we model it? Well, I believe that the book of, uh, of Titus gives us how we model ourselves. And I'm just going to go through this very quickly and I'll be done. The modeling of a man of God. I believe that every man in this room can take something away from this. And that's, that's why I want to share it with you. The modeling of grace how do we as men model grace in our lives? How do we do it? The book of Titus, chapter number 2, gives us some practical applications to follow. Titus chapter 2, verse number 1, it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Verse number 2, it says this, That the aged men be this, they be sober, they be grave, they be temperate, they be sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. How do I become a man of God? How do I become what God wants me to be? Whether I'm a young person, whether I'm a dad, whether I'm a grandfather, wherever I, I, I find myself in this mix, 
How do I become a man that God wants me to be? First of all, you have to be sober. You have to be alert. You have to be vigilant in everything that you do. You have to really be alert in your life. Can I tell you why? The Bible says be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Men, listen to me. I'm just going to be point straight blank with you. Young men, middle-aged men, old men, wherever you find yourself. Old men is not a good word. Mature men. We have to be sober. We have to be alert. The enemy is destroying men. Are you with me? The enemy is destroying young men. The enemy is destroying married men. The enemy is destroying single men. The, the, the enemy is destroying men that call themselves men of God. Uh, the enemy is destroying every man that calls himself a Christian all across this world. You know why? Because men are not being sober. They're not being vigilant. They're not being alert. Instead, they, they are feeding their own flesh instead of being sober and vigilant to what God wants for them in their lives. Men, I'm telling you with as much passion as I can give you, please, please be sober. Be vigilant. In the very... In the very... Uh, uh, um, and I don't even know any other way to say this. In the very closed moments of your life, when no one else is around, when no one else is seeing what's going on, please, please don't get mad at me. Be a man. It's okay to resist your flesh. It's okay to resist the, the, the what you feel like that you need as a sense of accomplishment in your life. Be sober. I would say this. That in those moments that are closed, when no one else is around, I would say instead of being a part of something that can cause temptation, why don't you walk away and open your Bibles? And find something that can cause rest in your life. And can give you peace. And can give you strength. Be sober. Be vigilant. Secondly of all, be grave. That word grave means dignified. That doesn't mean you walk around in a suit and tie all day long. That means that you present yourself well. To be dignified. You, you, you don't be... You, 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 don't, you don't act amiss. You don't act all crazy. You, you put on a, 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 a thoughtful mind with grace in your heart. You be grave or you be dignified. Number three, this is a difficult for some of us men, and probably most men. Be temperate. Be self-restrained. In other words, hold your anger. For some reason, God has put that within us men. Some men that, that literally at the tip of a hat... It's over. You know, the, the world has ended and everything has blown up. And it all started with me. We got to be temperance, self-restrained. I often tell people, especially when I'm doing marriage counseling, and I, and I talk to couples, 
And I'll say, why did you, why did you end up fighting? Why was, there, why was there no self-restraint? Why did it kind of you know, blow up? And they'll say this to me. They'll say, probably nine times out of ten, they'll say, we just actually misunderstood one another. It ended up being this huge argument for days and days and days and maybe even weeks. And we get to the end of it and we go, so what were we mad about? I often tell couples this, and this is something that I learned in my own life. When things begin to get heated, my wife and I, we do not fight. We have intense discussions. This is what I'll say. This is the honest truth. She'll say something to me in a moment of heat or a moment of, 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 it looks like things are not going to turn out too well. And to relax the scenario, both of us will do this. I'll say this. Now, is this what you're really saying to me? And I'll repeat back what I thought she said. And nine times out of ten, she'll stop and she'll say, no, that's not what I said. This is what I said. And then I'll say, ah, now I got it. Now we can overcome it. You see, it's slowing the tempo down. It's finding self-restraint. Number four, sound and faith. Can I tell you something? And, and I mean this with all love, and it's not, not just because I'm a pastor. In a Christian home, going to church is not optional, it's essential. It's not optional, it's essential. Number five, this is another one that can be hard for men, expressing your love. Men, listen to me. Especially if you have teenage boys. Because it's easier for us men when we have teenage girls, our own wives. It's easy to say, I love you. But can I tell you something? Your teenage, man, your teenage uh, young man needs to hear you say that you love them. They need to hear you. They need to see you hug them. Can I tell you, it's okay to even let your, let your son watch you cry. You say, Pastor, I know. Trust me. I'm talking to myself, all right? It's okay to say, I love you. Express your love. Listen to me, because one day, you're no longer going to be able to express it. God is either going to take you home, or he will take them home. Expressing your love. Number six, here's another one. Be patient. Be patient. Slow it down. Hope or brave endurance. Many, may, as, may we as men model our lives after Christ and this passes so that those in which we have influence over will follow his direction. And all the men said, he's done with us. Note letter B, the modeling of a woman of God. The modeling of a woman of God. Titus goes on in this passage of scripture and he says this in verse number three. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young men, or excuse me, young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient uh, to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. How do I become a woman of God? Titus tells us, just like he told us, uh, told us our men, first of all, you're to be holy. You're to be holy. You're to have a holy walk, a holy home, a home that is surrounded by godly love and holiness, teaching your young ladies that you're raising how to be a young lady and teaching your young men that you're raising how to treat those young ladies. Holy. Not a false accuser or a slanderer. In other words, don't be a gossip. When you hear things, Make sure you go to the source. 
not to 30 other people. We take it directly to the source, not a false accuser, not a slanderer of other people. I love this thought. A couple of kids were in the attic reading old letters their parents had written years ago. The boy said to the girl, he said, these aren't the names that they call each other now. There's a rolling effect. You just give it a moment, it'll get to you. Our kids should hear the love that we have for one another. Not given to much wine. Titus was ministering in Crete, and there was a huge problem with alcoholism there. Listen, I'm not here to tell you how or what to do. I'm here to just share with you the Word of God. But I want to tell you that we have to be careful in the things that we, and I'm not just speaking of wine, the things that we have, that we have to be careful that we indulge ourselves in that can become problematic within our homes as we're teaching our children what's proper and what's not proper. Number four, we're to be teachers. It was not primarily Titus's job to teach the young women, but it was the older women's responsibility to teach the young women. Number five, to be discreet, to be of a sound mind and have self-control. Listen, again, it goes back to the gossip. It goes back to the things that are told to you, that you keep them within yourselves, that you be discreet, that you have a sound mind. Verse 6, that you be chaste, which means pure from fault. I want to tell you this, and, and, and I'm going to be real honest with you, okay? Ladies love to share and to talk, because that's their, that's their emotional makeup. Ladies, can I tell you something? Be careful with who you share your heart with, because I believe whoever you share your heart with, you're liable to fall in love with. So be very cautious as you share with other men about your life. Be very discreet, be very chaste, pure from faults. Do not allow the enemy to get in at any moment to be able to cause a temptation in your life. Because I'm telling you, it will ruin families, it will ruin lives. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. Number seven, be good, not cynical, not sarcastic, nor critical. Ladies, may we model our lives after Christ in this passage so that those in which we have influence over will follow his direction. Lastly, here it is and I'm done. Today our challenge is simple. It's to live a life that is modeled in grace, that our lives may glorify Christ in all that we say and do. It's the message of grace, which is salvation. It's the mentoring of grace, which is growing. And it's the modeling of grace as we be an example. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?